welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Shamil, Shamazel, Haas and Pfeffer Incorporated. <laughs> it's me, dude. Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast. It's a little shout out to the fallen Cindy Williams from Laverne and Shirley. Go check it out. So as I mentioned, I'm dude. I got Andy and Don with me today. Keeping it mean, keeping it clean. How you guys doing? Doing great, man. Doing great. How are you doing? <laughs> Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready for uh, an, an exciting show. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you guys are because you guys got it better than me. It's all so easy for you, you know. Oh, you sit back and read the little prompts there, man. Come on, can't be that bad. And Don just gets to say his cute little catchphrases like Donnie Likey. I don't have any catchphrases. <laughs> I, I wish, wish I, I could, could switch, switch places, places with him for, him for just, just one, one show. show. <laughs> 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 i don't know i feel much shorter and less handsome <laughs> you mean more handsome <laughs> so it's freaky friday we're all gonna pick records from uh the perspective of one another that's what i'm talking about suddenly i don't want to use my first name anymore <laughs> <laughs> So the Freaky Friday concept originated in the 1972 children's novel written by Mary Rogers. It led to a series of films in 1976, 95, 2003, and 2018. The story is based on the idea of a mother and daughter swapping bodies to live a day in the life of each other. On today's show, we're making record picks as if we were each other. The dude will be picking for me, I'll be picking for Don, and Don will be picking for the dude. Let's see how this goes. Also, to add to the confusion, we're going to do some of each other's jobs on the show that uh, are typically assigned and parsed, so that should make things interesting and spicy. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, trying to think like someone else, it's challenging. So what I did was I used a website called theshuffle.com and put in albums and artists and stuff I knew Andy liked and hoped it would spit back some recommendations hmm. so i listened to some weird stuff <laughs> i started with lauren hill miseducation of lauren hill because andy had mentioned that mm -hmm. recently listened to a lot of jazz albums i tried some different electronic stuff like rough dog the album island aria rastami an album called maramar old funk albums and just tried to listen without my biases like as soon as i hear a dance beat i'm like oh garbage <laughs> so i had to <laughs> try to try to pull that back and, and see it from another another direction for, for this i was really just uh i was thinking about the smiths and i went all in on the smiths because yeah. i knew don is a fan i'm kind of a fan yeah you're lucky you got don <laughs> definitely a crossover point for us so i listened to their whole discography a few times which was a lot of fun and i cried a little bit but it's okay and uh <laughs> came out the other side a better man I'm more in touch with my feelings now now you feel like joan of arc <laughs> <laughs> yeah weird how much joan of arc has been coming up lately yeah <laughs> i told you guys <laughs> So, you know, uh, picking for, for Dude, th that wasn't that difficult for me. You know, initially I was kind of thinking sort of like 90s rock stuff. 
I remembered that he was a fan of Urge Overkill. So I thought about doing that record. Uh, I thought about maybe, you know, some of the early grunge, like Mother Love Bone. Uh, but then I, I you know, uh, recalled that that dude was, um, you know, enjoyed the the outlaw country. Uh, I remember him bringing the the Willie Nelson redheaded stranger, you know, to the table. So uh, so I chose something from from that realm. Seems like a pretty safe bet when it comes to the dude. Okay, gentlemen, let's get to the albums. <laughs> Start your albums. You choo choo choose me. I wish I could switch places with her for just one day. We'll also be playing tribute to the movies that inspired this ridiculousness. All right, so I'm starting off with a album I hope Andy would enjoy. It's uh, Urban Hang Suite, Maxwell's Urban Hang Suite by Maxwell. Why don't we uh, kick off with a little bit of the urban theme, and then we'll we'll enjoy the soft-hearted musings of where, whenever, wherever, whatever. was Maxwell's debut album, his full name Gerald Maxwell Rivera, American musician, singer, songwriter, record producer from the Bronx, East New York, and uh, got a Casio keyboard as a kid from a friend and started writing songs and is kind of of a uh, unique background, Puerto Rican father, Haitian mother, and um, grew up listening to Marvin Gaye and Prince and all that good stuff and inspired him to be a singer-songwriter. Uh, you know, as a kid, I, I got one of those um, little Casio s- sampling keyboards too, but I, all I ever did was belch into it. That probably would work now. I've, I've heard worse actual music, so... Uh, <laughs> Keep swinging. Yeah, you probably get a record deal nowadays. So. <laughs> yeah, don't don't give up. You could be something. Uh, so the Hang Suite is a concept album, which check the box for Andy. Loves concept albums about true, true. the beginnings of a relationship, and then the the hot stuff that happens. You know, you're you're trying to get their interest, and it gets heated so much so that the cops have to come knocking on the door because it's so vigorous. Uh, but then, you know, relationships kind of fade, fade off and, and, and that's where that song comes in where, uh, he's missing her. She's, for whatever reason, they're not in each other's lives and he's saying, I'm, I, I really do love you and I'm here. And, and it, the story continues throughout the album of, uh, of eventually propose, getting back together and proposing and all that good stuff. So the three words I used to describe this album were smooth, funky love story. It's got lush arrangements, funkiness, great singing, and uh, I think it's pretty dang cool. So before we move on to next songs, Andy, did I get close? I mean, definitely in the ballpark. There's a lot, lots of like here. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I liked it overall. I liked it. We'll get into some details here, but it's a pretty enjoyable record. 
I guess that's as good as it's going to get. He's a very tough man to please, his poor wife. It's true. Tell my wife, yeah. <laughs> All right, so why don't we get a little funkier and uh, jump into Ascension. Yeah, I really like the groove on that track in particular. It's got just the right pace to it. Kind of reminds me a little bit of like Smokey Robinson and Marvin Gaye. Um, two big influences for Maxwell, from my understanding. Um, yeah, so my three richest record are "Sexy Sex Time" because uh, <laughs> it really leans into you know the more romantic side of this the genre, uh, which fits in with the story. It makes sense. I think as, you know, more of like a personal, you know, subjective taste thing, I kind of appreciate more like the, the funky side of this genre, I guess, as opposed to the more the most sultry, uh, you know, bedroom kind of slow jams. Quiet that, storm. Yeah, the quiet storm kind of stuff, which does have a place on this record here as well, uh, especially as we get later into it. There's a few tracks that do have that kind of hushed, you know, whisper vibe kind of thing going on, which, you know, there's a place for that, but. Yeah, you know, like as I'm sitting at my desk working throughout the day, I don't know if I really need to be getting all intimate with myself here necessarily. But. You can't work properly when all the blood is rushed out of your head. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> but there's a good mix here. I really enjoyed the opening. You know, it has that more of like a funky kind of throwback sound to it. You know, they have a little needle scratch sound there, and there's some nice bass lines kicking there in the first couple tracks. Um but that largely gets replaced with kind of a more like mid-tempo soul and, and slow jam kind of uh, feel, which is good. But, you know, is it like 100% something I would jam out to all the time? Probably probably not. Yeah, well, and Valentine's Day is coming up, so hopefully you yeah. can put it to some use. It's a good record to have in your back pocket for those occasions, you know. You got to be like, uh, yeah, put out a little uh, urban uh, hang sweet here. Perfect time. Yeah, I mean, he was kind of trying to bring... So, this is 96. So, trying to bring back a little bit of that late 70s, early 80s, Teddy Pendergrass, uh, Marvin Gaye, like, let's get it on. And, and the whole concept was the the story from the beginning of of those encounters. So, yeah, I mean, it's... It's definitely not party anthems, but it's it's pretty silky. So why don't we uh, get into something a little more up-tempo and dancey. It's called Dance With Me. It's that bass that got you, right, Don? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think... I experienced the album in a, in a similar way to, to Andy. Uh, I definitely, I guess, was drawn in more by the, the funkier tracks uh, at first. And this is a, you know, this is a, a tough genre for me. Uh, the three words I, I chose were, I, I think, similar to yours. I, I did uh, smooth, slow seduction. Yeah, I I certainly don't gravitate to sort of these like these like seduction records. In in fact, um, you know, I I would say I'm somewhat repelled by them. But, I, <laughs> but you know, I, I I knew that that Maxwell was was a talent, so I really wanted to give this record a chance. And um, I definitely I listened to it a lot more than the other two records we we did this this week. And and I grew to uh, to appreciate it. You know, I just have to get past some of my own personal biases. I mean, I used to seduce women with. Uh, you know Morrissey and and Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> that's, yeah. that was my suburban hang suite. I guess. That's even more impressive. Really. <laughs> <laughs> 
but you know, I think it's I, I think it's it's cool that it's that it's a concept album. Uh, I like that the the tempo slows uh, as the as the album goes on. I mean, it's impeccably produced and and put together. Yeah, in the end, I I ended up uh, enjoying the album a lot, and I I certainly uh, appreciate Maxwell's vocal talents. And I mean, he's obviously you know I, I think also a, just an excellent songwriter and and uh, arranger. You know, I, I know he's been. Uh, compared to to Prince, you know, I don't know if that's if that's blasphemous, um, but actually, I mean, a lot of it did did remind me of of some of the more um, kind of sultry Prince records. Yeah, I think vocally they do have some similarities, especially on this record. I thought that was impressive. Uh, yeah, I mean, one one with the production, Maxwell co-produced with Peter Mochran and Stuart Matthewman, and Stuart is from uh, Sade. He played in. Sade's band that played saxophone there. So you definitely hear that Sade influence in, in there in a lot of the tracks, which I really enjoy. So hopefully Andy did too, at least as much as he can. <laughs> My little cold heart is capable of. <laughs> no, I think this record will come in handy for sure. So thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, if you need a record to help get through these cold nights, Go check out Maxwell's Urban Hang Suites. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. All right. Well, now is that uh, special time of the show where we, uh, of course, uh, asks, uh, ask ourselves uh, a question. Harder than it seems, isn't it? It, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, gentlemen, in addition to these, uh, you know, th- these Freaky Friday films, I mean, there's been several, you know, where people are, are trading places or switching bodies or brains and stuff like that. Uh, do you have a favorite? Well, I'm going to mention a couple. They're all pretty sticky, I guess, by, by nature. But I recently rewatched Face Off for the first time in probably 20 years. Have you guys seen that ever? Is that the, yes. The, Nicolas Cage and like Christian Slater John or something? John Travolta. John Travolta. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. It holds up pretty well. Uh, it's kind of the ultimate body swap. They literally rip each other's faces off. So I guess it's a little bit. <laughs> but then they just have to pretend to be one another to get in with each other's crews, whether it be the cops and in the case of John Travolta is a cop, right? And yeah. this cage is the bad it's a guy. Criminal mastermind. Yeah. And well, the thing that drove me nuts about that, so they switch faces, right? And then they're like kissing each other's girlfriends and stuff. It's like, uh oh, you yeah. still got weird body, man. You know, (laughs) (laughs) your body hasn't changed. So anyone that really knows you is going to be like, hey, what's going on with that uh, tiny thing there? Apparently they are exactly the same body type and it's fine. Oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I had to actually look at a list. There's a movie I haven't seen yet that I want to called Freaky. That is the same concept, but a horror movie starring Vince Vaughn, where uh, there's a girl trapped inside the body of a serial killer. So that might be interesting. <laughs> uh, but one that I actually did enjoy as a kid was All of Me. Steve Martin is a, a lawyer, and this rich lady dies as he's helping her with her arrangements or whatever and she her soul transfers into his body and she has to accomplish things before she can move on Hmm. it's from 1984 it's cheesy it's campy it's mostly dumb but it's steve martin so it finds a way to be funny yeah yeah there's one um i remember from like 
probably the late 80s or early 90s. It was um, really dumb called Vice Versa, uh, which had uh, starred Judge Judge Reinhold and uh, and Fred Savage. Uh, but one soon that, uh, one scene that that sticks with me. Judge Reinhold, who is actually Fred Savage, you know, the kid is inside him. He goes to a like a heavy metal show and it was a real band called Malice. Um, And he goes with a girlfriend. Um, Normally, the dad is like really uptight, but he's like all excited to be at the show and he goes up on stage and stuff. And so it's it's an amusing scene. Judge Reinhold. Yeah, that kind of made me think of Big a little bit. I don't know if Big counted. It's not quite a body swap. I mean... Exactly, it's the same person in their yeah. adult body, but it's right. kind of it's kind of same idea. Yeah, what 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 always creeps me out about those is when, the, especially a kid like Fred Savage's age, or even in Big, when these kids yeah. in adult bodies like get it on. <laughs> it's kind of uh, like yeah. that's not yeah. cool, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of an ethical gray area. <laughs> gray? It's not gray. It's pretty black and white. <laughs> it's pretty clear, dude. <laughs> It's not cool. <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of problematic things that come up in these movies, but just gloss over those details. Yeah, you're, they're supposed to be escaping and not paying attention to the scientific or uh, the moral uh, quandaries that come yeah. up. Okay, well, what's your favorite Trading Places movie? Uh, hit us up uh, on the Discord uh, and, and let us know. I don't know. <laughs> Is that what we normally Swing do? and a miss. <laughs> <laughs> You know, do the, <laughs> you know, that thing that we do. Like that Discord thing. You know, I wish I could change places with you. Yeah, well, I wish I could too. Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of screaming involved in these movies. Okay. All right. So for my pick on behalf of Don, going with the Smiths. In the 1986 album, The Queen is Dead, let's play a little bit from the title cut. Just kick butt opening to that record. I really like that track. Yeah, so this is the third studio album for the Manchester, England-based four-piece, largely spearheaded by... Uh, Morrissey, who I just realized he's one of those people who just goes by one name, isn't he? He doesn't really have a first or last name. It's Stephen Patrick Morrissey. I knew you would know, Don. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Johnny Marr, who handles the music and guitars. Yeah, I mean, I think they're kind of, at least in my opinion, one of the, the better known of these like more underground or independent 80s post-punk rock bands. And I've, and I've been a big longtime fan for as long as I can remember. My three words to describe this record are long live the queen, uh, even though she's dead. I think uh, this this album holds up pretty well over time. Uh, some of their best songs, in my opinion. And I think the thing that made, made this album stand out in their discography is just how consistently good it is. I think all the records have a lot of high points, but this album, the low points are pretty high, too. It's pretty, pretty awesome, in my opinion. Why don't we play another cut? This is the third track, I Know It's Over. Yeah, that song still uh, gives me goosebumps. Years ago, I think I declared that was my my favorite Smith's record, and I I still think it is. Well, it kind of stands out. Um, You know, at that point, I don't think they had really made a a song like that that was sort of a 
kind of a like a slow building epic and it's just like a perfect song for a you know a high school boy that you know doesn't have a girlfriend um you know <laughs> there is a lot to relate to there uh and it does um it doesn't even hint at suicide it's pretty blatant it's pretty you know, the, the knife wants to cut me <laughs> yeah. but i don't think it's like a real it's like adolescent you know my world's falling apart because i'm not loved sort of melodramatic suicide and not like the real dark despair suicide at least that's my uh you know that's that's my take on it yeah i always felt that way too i feel like morrissey's always kind of with a grain of salt in his his lyrics yeah yeah and just uh melodramatic yes melodramatic <laughs> is a perfect word yep. so andy i mean you know this was certainly a a great pick you know if you were trying to you know come from from my perspective it's probably one of the most listened to albums in in my lifetime uh and this is this is my favorite smith's record the the three words i i chose to describe it you know i just went with with the the song title big mouth strikes again you know big mouth you know i kind of you know that's that's morrissey and you know i feel like he has a lot to say and he doesn't always say it in the in the way that you expect both lyrically um but also vocally i guess one thing i've always appreciated uh, about him as a vocalist is that you know he plays around a lot he throws in a lot of laws and i'm not sure if it's intentional or unintentional but he goes off key uh, a lot <laughs> does that bother you i feel like that's something you always touch yeah. on yeah, well, it, it works, though. You know, I, I think, you know, as a post-punk band, you know, it's very much in that spirit. And I, I think on this album, his voice is just really bright. Uh, you know, at that point, you know, that's the, the best his, his voice has sounded. And then, you know, just one other thought. I think Johnny <laughs> Moore... <laughs> I got so many. I mean, we could do this. We could do a whole special episode about this one. Um, but I think Johnny Marr backs off a little bit on, on this album. Uh, like in their early records, I mean, Johnny Marr is like a, if there's a post-punk guitar hero, it's him. Sometimes it's sort of quiet in the mix, but he's just playing a lot of notes. And I think in the early Smith's records, I think he's just doing a lot, you know, maybe showing off a, a little bit. And I think on this album, he kind of, you know, steps back a little bit, lets the song sort of breathe. And, and I think his instrumentation just sort of complements the, the melody and the voice more. And I, and I think, yeah, just, you know, results in, in you know, their, their masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, when both of them are in sync or both kind of at the top of their game, which I think they are the most part of this record, there's like unstoppable duo, man. Like... <laughs> Mars is such such good at writing melodies, and like you said, he does kind of step back a little bit here and and let the rest of the band play as well, which is, at times is really interesting too. Like the rhythm section, the bass in particular, I think drives a, lot, a handful of these songs quite a bit. Like that opener there, I think in particular, is really among the most raucous rock sounding of the Smiths songs but they have such a wide range too man there's like goofy songs on here too you have like song the cemetery gates which is like totally opposite kind of feel to it same with like victor and a tutu like just kind of like goofy almost like throwaway songs that i think actually work pretty well in this situation but yeah let's not that could talk about this record for a long time too yeah i mean uh, god <laughs> dude it's like get this over with come on let's play a little bit from uh from that cut that don mentioned big mouth strikes again back joan is back the three words i used to describe this album and the smiths in general are i don't get it i don't get it i don't get it i don't get it 
That was from Big. <laughs> that, that was from Big. The, the three words I really use to describe it are melancholy attacks on the world. Like, I kind of haven't, I haven't understood the Smiths. Like, I've heard it. I don't recognize any of these songs, by the way. Apologies. How Soon Is Now is the only one I really, like, traditionally have jammed to, which I think is probably not unusual. But that's not from this album. Um, <laughs> nope. So, yeah, I didn't really recognize any of these. It's it's kind of hard to get into them when there isn't an immediate click. And I think that's kind of been my problem over the years is I started to understand in listening to this one a bunch of times, headphones in particular, where it's kind of rebellious music. Like that song, Big Mouth Strikes Again, is about lashing out at himself, Morrissey at himself, and, and the press for the things that it are reported on him and and exaggerated perhaps and you know what what they they're really a rebellious band lyrically but because it blah 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 it's so croonery that it's kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> they trick you so i've always been like who needs to sit there and be like all you know crying in my pillow or whatever but it's really not about that it's more anger than anything else i think i've started to see a little bit of what these dudes are about and johnny marr he makes it from me he's what keeps me alive i mean the the riff in that particular song big mouth strikes again says that uh, he said he was inspired by rolling stones jumping jack flash on that one and and even knowing that those are his guitar heroes will help me (laughs) i think it's time that i do go through the discography there's not that many records so i have no excuses And see if I can if I can finally get it. Yeah, I was surprised reading about this record a little bit that they reference the Stooges as being their primary influence or who they were listening to the most at this time. I read that too. Yeah, there's a there's a more of an edge to them than I think people give them credit. Uh, I think a lot of it does come from Mar. What do you think, Don? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, even Morrissey is I don't know. You know, he, he I think he's like kind of he's just an antagonist. You know, um, but he's not yes. coming from the same place as Johnny Rotten. You know, he's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. machismo. You know, he's you know sort of anti-macho. You know, I think he's being sort of I don't know. You know, like quoting literature. You know, Oscar Wilde and stuff like that is very po- counter to a lot of you know uh, other things that are, that are out there at, at the time. It's that other kind of anger and rebellion instead of using fists it's i'm smarter than you i yeah i you know i i know the classics i read i i have a mind i use my mind yeah. and uh <laughs> i did i did it, which reminded me a little bit of simon and garfunkel which i could see why don you like both of those mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i mean it was a different time a different style of music right. but they were bringing yeah, up same tone important right. stuff but also a lot of that sort of you know, I'm reading Holden Caulfield. I really know what life is. Like, okay. Yeah, different take on the whole punk aesthetic, but I think same general premise, I guess. Yeah, and there's, um, I mean, there's humor in it. Okay. You know, even like the Big Mouth Strikes again, you know, her her, her uh, hearing aid is melting. You know, you've yeah. got... Vicar and a tutu. Um, also, like that song. What have you done, Andy? What have you done? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll <laughs> shut up. I'll just <laughs> unleash the dragon. Here. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that, that Vicar in a Tutu is an underrated track. You know, it's it's basically rockabilly underneath. Uh, yeah. It's got kind of like that shuffle, like sort of trainish sound that Johnny Cash has in his records. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> that was really good on me a lot over the years. I <laughs> really disliked that when I first listened to this mess, but that was one of my favorites listening to this time. Yeah. I mean, she just mentioned. There's a light that never goes out, which I think is maybe one of the, the best songs of the 80s, in my opinion. Uh, it's just a beautiful... That's like one of the moments where I think they really do Johnny and, and Morris, who just play together like perfectly. But yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the Smiths, it's arguably their their most well-reviewed record. And I think uh, it's a crowning achievement of the 80s. So thank you, Don, for letting us finally talk about this record. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Andy. Oh, yeah. Let's nominate this bitch for the Hall of Fame. Tells me I might need a little audience assistance on this one. <laughs> but I'm going to say yes, definitely. I love this record. Don? Yes. All right. I should have sung it. I should have sung it like Morrissey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Please now throw some roses upon me just to end this thing. I'm going to say yes. Oh, my gosh. Come on. Really? After all that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you guys say it's the Beth Smith album, they were important. I'm going to roll with it i trust you fair enough fair enough congratulations to uh, mr morrissey and the rest of the smiths all right so once again the album is the queen is dead by the smiths definitely worth a listen if you haven't heard it this is friendship pure unadulterated friendship oh, yeah. are you a music fan join the discussion in the albumers discord albumers.com slash discord and tell us what you like what you dislike and suggest topics for the wheel of musical destiny you lost your job don <laughs> i wish i could switch places with you for just one day <sighs> i thought that would work <laughs> yeah we're all floored it didn't <laughs> what's that from it's from community that was Troy and Abed oh that's right <laughs> <laughs> trying to do uh, yeah, their cool. own freaky friday we pulled it off, kind of. <laughs> okay, so uh, my uh, choice for the dude was Honky Tonk Heroes uh, from Waylon Jennings, released in June 1973. Uh, here's the opening and, and title track. I just miss the term people calling each other boozers. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, let's bring that back. Uh, so this is the actually uh, the 19th album by by Waylon Jennings, which was you know pretty amazing by 1973. Uh, so Waylon Jennings was was born in 1937 in Littlefield, Texas. All of these songs uh, except one were written by a, a Billy Joe Shaver, uh, who was pretty much a, an unknown songwriter at that time. But you know Jennings, you know took a took a liking to him. Yeah, this actually came at a time when where Jennings was basically granted finally like full creative control by RCA Records. I don't know if you remember when you were when we talked about that Redheaded Stranger album with Willie Nelson. You know, Willie Nelson had split from RCA Records and went to Atlantic, I think, where where they gave him full creative control. Uh, and I think here RCA Records didn't want that to happen again, so they just you know told Jennings that he could do what he wanted. So the three words I chose to describe this album were just uh, quint 
quintessential outlaw album. When I was picking an album for for dude, you know, I just started looking at you know lists of like the best you know, outlaw <laughs> country albums, and this was this was always you know near near the top. Uh, I think the Willie Nelson one was usually one or two, and and this one was usually in the top five. And of the the four highwaymen, uh, actually Jennings is probably the one that I was least familiar with. Yeah, me too. Um, so I thought it would be fun to to explore one of his records. Well, let's uh, let's go to a, a, another song. There's another one that you know connects with with dude because he has some ties to Nebraska. Uh, this is a song called Omaha. Somewhere in Middle America. Omaha, Nebraska wasn't good enough for me. Always thought I was the Roman kind. Oh, Omaha. Uh, Omaha's made it to a couple of songs. A lot of other Midwestern cities, they just don't, you know, you just don't hear songs about like Madison, Wisconsin, or Aurora, Illinois, or uh, Olath, Kansas. I hope I said that right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Wayland does a great job here with the story about a person that grows up in the Midwest. They're bored. They think it's got to be better somewhere else, uh, maybe on one of the East or West Coast, right? So you end up in. San Francisco and you end up in jail and life is hard and it doesn't work out so well and you end up going back home to Omaha where life is sweet and uh, everything turns out okay. Shouldn't have left in the first place. <laughs> That's kind of your story. So the uh, three words I used to describe this album were stripped down storytelling, which is kind of the heart and soul of the outlaw country genre. I mean, a lot of times it's about small town life or you know, trying to live your dreams. Sometimes it's about gunslinging and badass stuff like that, cowboy stuff. But the uh, partnership here with Waylon and Billy Joe Shaver, who was the primary songwriter, is really cool. Uh, Waylon sings amazingly. Love the voice. Wasn't that familiar with him outside of the Highwayman and the Dukes of Hazard theme song. Uh, but it was great getting to know him here. Like I said, Billy Joe's songwriting is spot on. It's got that, you know, uh, that Texas sound to it, that twang. But there's also the rock and roll vibe and feel, which Outlaw Country typically has. So, uh, you know, from what I understand, this kind of shaped the genre. And um, I totally get it. So, Don, time well spent. You are you make a really good dude. So, uh, thank <laughs> you. I enjoyed Waylon. Don makes a good dude. Okay. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh let's do a, another one uh this is uh here's a little bit of black rose the first time second time i've done it on my own lord put a handle on the simple headed man and help me leave that black rose alone yeah you know oddly i kind of like this record it's got just enough rock sprinkled on top of my country to make it uh, nice and tasty for me and he got the great storytelling and kind of this you know, the Western frontier sort of vibe going on. Yeah, it's pretty badass. I, I really ended up enjoying the majority of it. There's a handful of ballads on here that I think are a little schmaltzy for me. I really get back to like that, like that 70s country sound. But the songs here that are more outlaw, I think are great. So yeah, my three words are outlaw before outlaw. Supposedly, this is one of the first outlaw country records to come about or kind of sit in this, this space. Yeah, especially the back half of the record I thought was really good. Songs like Ain't No God in Mexico and the one we just played there, Black Rose, I thought were really pretty awesome. So yeah, I, you know, I never listened to Waylon before, but I was pretty impressed. Uh, now, I read that Waylon played bass in Buddy Holly's band. Did you guys see that too? 
Yeah, in fact, I read that he gave up his seat on the the plane. The plane. Oh, really? Yeah, the day the music died. Well, but the music lived. I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't have Waylon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, I'm glad you know both of you guys enjoyed this this record because because I, I did as well. And yeah, dude, you mentioned his his voice. Yeah, I was really impressed with that. I, I think you know probably of the you know the the outlaw country guys as far as like a traditional voice, I, I think his might be the, the best. Of course, Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash have their sort of uh, idiosyncratic way of of singing, um, you know, which is cool. But you know, I think this guy really has some pipes. Um, actually, like Sturgill Simpson sounds like him a lot. I think. Mm hmm. I agree. I hadn't thought of that, mm -hmm. but yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I thought about nominating this for, for the Hall of Fame. My only hesitation is that he only wrote one of the songs, you know, so it, I'm not sure I would put it up there, you know, with, you know, alongside Willie in, in our Hall of Fame, um, you know, because he's he's singing somebody else's songs. What, what do you guys think um, about that? I think that he's an accomplished enough songwriter that he recognized something special in, uh, what's that guy's name? Billy Joe Shaver. <laughs> He recognized something special in Billy Joe Shaver and wanted to express what was being expressed in those songs. Um, I'm sure he, I'm sure that there were a lot of conversations about arrangements and and things because this was Wayland's band, his touring band, playing on this one. So I, the Whalers, the Whalers, wow, yeah, but not the not the reggae ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't think you have to write all the songs or or any of the songs on an album for it to be a great piece of art or Hall of Fame worthy. But I I I have a feeling that his creative input was definitely a part of this, and he recognized something special in the way that those those lyrics were written. Okay, well, I'm I'm gonna I kind of cheated then by sort of testing the the waters first. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and, and nominate Waylon Jennings' Honky Tonk Heroes for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, I think you know uh, this is this is outlaw country, you know, and it, it stands out as sort of being a, a piece that you would recommend to, to people who want to get into outlaw country. So, uh, Andy. <laughs> Yeah, the things you say are true, Don. As much as <laughs> let's keep the country record out of the Hall of Fame, now. I I think this is pretty great, and I, I agree. This is probably among the the ones you would recommend if you were trying to get someone into this genre. So I'll say yes. Yeah, I mean the fact that it's also considered the first, if not one of the first, outlaw country albums, and that is a cherished subgenre that uh, for country music hits all the right. Uh, chords for me so yes all right well congratulations to waylon jennings and and the whalers and honky tonk heroes okay guys well we we, we spent a show you know being somebody else right experiencing uh you know music uh from a from another perspective did you learn anything yeah i actually did um, what we were talking about the Smiths, like some of it wasn't just me learning from trying to look at things from Andy's perspective or listen to stuff that Andy might like or does like, which was cool. You know, that was interesting, but also hearing someone else's take, you know, Andy take on the Smiths. I'm kind of glad it worked out that way that we talked about that band without Don leading the charge 
Although, man, did he try. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it was cool hearing other perspectives on stuff. And I know we do that regularly when we talk about records, but just with having that different uh, mindset, they did make this an interesting week. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for, I mean, taking the easy road. Like I did, where I picked a record that I knew Don would like because <laughs> he told me he liked it, versus <laughs> trying to find something new that somebody else maybe it didn't already appreciate and trying to like convince them that they might like it. <laughs> yeah. Where, where, what you guys did, <laughs> which I think is a little more interesting and a lot more challenging because there's a lot of, of nuances to everybody's taste and trying to really understand what it is that someone likes about a genre or, or a certain kind of music is, is hard and that's, people are complicated. <laughs> I think it always comes out, even though I think we all come from different musical places or different musical comfort zones. You know, I think we certainly have like a, a lot of common ground. Typically the things we like about records are the, the same and the things we don't like about records are, are the same. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we're, we're not all that different. <laughs> it gives me a little comfort too to like, um, you know, like with the Will and Jennings record, like even though we're like I'm not a huge fan of the genre, I know Don, like you're maybe more a little closer to it, and then dude's like really into it. That's something that we can all find some commonality and agree that this is actually a really good record and a good representation of the genre is like makes me feel good that there is something intangibly good about about music. And that's one to grow on. I'm your density. All right, boys and girls, it's everybody's favorite time on the podcast when we drag out that disgusting heap, the Wadbot, <laughs> and give it a spin. It's fat shaming, man. Come on. I didn't say fat. I said disgusting heap. <laughs> it's a large wheel that's fictitious. And now we'll spin that wheel to inform us of what and where destiny will take us next. Your musical destiny will once again be taking you on a journey through time and space. You must explore albums from the year 1983. Okay, so music from the year 1983. Mm. Nice. That should be fun. I look forward to that. Should be right up all of our alleys. Oh yeah, in and out of our alleys. <laughs> I might be able to do that Jay Giles band album. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. I hope so. Okay. All right. So what's your favorite album from 1983? What to what else are you listening? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email the podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Album Nerds. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. Like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Okay, well, we'll be back next week with more album recommendations for you. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. See ya later. <laughs> Andy like <Lightning>. it. <laughs> there you go. I'm so, I, I thought we were going to count down to it or something. To get Three, it. two, <laughs> one. I, yep. wish, I, I wish I, I, I could switch, switch places. Switch places. <laughs> with them for just... All right, maybe we should each say it separately and I'll put them together, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay.